Hey, good morning, Life Church. Thanks again so much for tuning in, downloading in, podcasting in, streaming in, uh, whatever way you find yourself joining with us today. I want to say thank you so much for for doing that. Uh, we're praying for you all. I hope you're staying safe, uh, staying well. You know, as we're a couple weeks into this time, uh, which is anything and everything but normal, I want to caution us. It can begin to feel normal. We can begin to relax our vigilance, our thoughtfulness, our careful uh, new habits. This is still not normal. Where we are is not normal. Please continue to think not only of yourself, but also of those who may be at a higher risk with exposure uh, to the virus. Continue to take our reality and this present threat seriously, even in the face of it becoming, unfortunately, familiar in some ways, shapes, and forms. You know, some have spoken about uh, end dates and when we think we can return back to school and work and gatherings and so forth. I just want to exhort you, church, to uh, just be be careful with your expectations um, and understand even as we dismissed our gatherings before uh, certain CDC and government regulations were put into place, uh, we will probably, in the same way, bring our gathering back together once it we move into a new season and a new circumstance. Just as we were ahead of the curve in dismissing the gatherings, we will be behind the curve in coming back together. Not because we don't value the gathering of the saints and gathering of, of people in, in place together, but because we value life, uh, we value health and wholeness and, and want to be responsible with such. Um, so uh, just a couple of mentions. Uh, as I like to do in the beginning of our conversation. Again, I don't ever want to focus on the virus and the circumstances. I want to continue to preach uh, God's Word and speak to who He is and who He's calling us to be. But I, I just want to encourage you all in this season to be aware of learning curves. You know, Everything that we're engaging uh, is new. It's different. And learning can be exhausting. Uh, oftentimes, that's why our children come home from school grumpy and frustrated because they're tired. They have been learning, taking in new information, processing. We all find ourselves in a a learning curve stage. Uh, Learn uh, how to go on dates without being able to go out on a date. Learn how to connect and relate as a family. Learn how to appreciate and honor even maybe the space that we've been given as a gift. As frustrating as it might be, uh, there's a gift in there as well to be able to be with one another uh, and, and, and connect and relate much like we haven't been before with the normal hustle and bustle of lives and schedules. Also, I want to just encourage everyone to be aware of, of, of the silent stress. You know, as again, we've kind of moved into this never-before-seen territory. It has now quickly kind of become familiar. But the stress of difference and change and threats and news-breaking information and all of those things can become really silent stressors. So just be aware um, what that does to your soul, what that does to your your body. Uh, make sure you get good sleep. Make sure when the pollen uh, kind of removes itself from us, uh, you get outside, get in the sun, um, and just 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 be aware of those things. We we love you. Uh, let me just pray for um, 
our world, our community, and the virus in particular, that it would just be dealt with. Father, we, we trust you. We announce and declare and remind ourselves that uh, Jesus has a name above every other name. The name of cancer, the name of COVID-19, the name of fear, the name of anxiety. We know you, Jesus, to have a name above all those other names. And we right now reprioritize. Maybe we have put too much focus. Maybe we have become too centered on some of those things. And though we don't want to be ignorant, we, we have to constantly re-engage a healthy system of priority. And so, Jesus, we firmly place you at the center of our lives. We thank you so much that you are seated in heavenly places at the right hand of the Father, uh, ever making intercession for us. Uh, so we just pray for uh, our church. We pray for our community. We pray for our region. We pray for our country. We pray for our world. We ask for this virus to be dealt with, for this thing to run its course and, and move on. We ask for all those who are affected uh, with this sickness. We ask for healing. We ask for mercy. Those on the front line, the nurses and the doctors and everyone who are engaging uh, this really uh, with all that they are. We pray for our president. We pray for the task forces and uh, people to make right decisions. We ask for health and wholeness. And we just we just ask for mercy, God, for you to do a thing, do a work. We trust you, we honor you, and, and ask for you to just help us. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, amen. Amen and amen. Hey, uh, this upcoming week, uh, you should have received an email with some information and some details, but we're going to be releasing um, kind of what the church is going to look like in this season. Um, please, if you haven't signed up and created your profile for Right Now Media, a subscription that has been made available to us through the generosity of six families for the next six months. Six families are sponsoring um, Right Now Media for the whole church. We're so appreciative for those people who've stepped up and said, hey, I'd love to sponsor a month at $250 and really giving this gift to the church. Uh, tons of resources, lots of content uh, for small groups, for engaging your relationship with Christ, for kids. Um, so get on that, establish your profile, and, and start to familiarize yourself with it. Also, next Wednesday, uh, this Wednesday coming up, we're going to be releasing a new website. Uh, we have been working on a website almost for a year, but we're using this moment, uh, this current circumstance and season, to uh, release it really to fit our here and now. So uh, look forward to that, and we'll be uh, continuing to communicate there as well. All right, go ahead, and uh, we celebrated communion last week, but we're going to do that again this week as well. Um, so go ahead and get a cracker, uh, some water, some juice, or whatever you want. A uh, uh, pop tart, juice box, kind of my favorite thing to refer to. Uh, though I don't remember the last time I had a pop tart or a juice box because if there are juice boxes in my house, uh, the children inhale them. Uh, so anyway, we're going to be celebrating communion together at the end of this message. So go ahead and prepare that, get that ready. And uh, let's read our passage of Scripture, Matthew chapter 6, uh, verses 9 through 13. The words of Jesus in response to the disciples asking uh, him to teach them to pray. He says, our, our Lord Jesus uh, says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
You know, as we continue this series, 71 Words, I want to reiterate the frame of our discussion. It's, it's not just a conversation about conventional hands folded together praying. Uh, we're following the lead of the disciples, even as I referenced. Um, we're reading this passage because the disciples come to Jesus and say, Hey, teach us how to pray. They ask Jesus, teach us how to pray. This is, again, not just, hey, show me how to entreat over a meal or ask for a miracle. Um, Praying is those things, but it's also um, how are you living your life? How are you willing in your moments? How are you leaning with your soul in the midst of your circumstances? And this, of course, would have been a very normal question to ask a rabbi. It wasn't just a moment or a random thing because when a rabbi describes how they pray, how they entreat, how they will, how they lean, they are expressing their ultimate beliefs. They are showing their disciples, those who are following them, how not only they think and do those things, but they're also giving it to their disciples and saying, hey, you can do this as well. So the title of our conversation uh, this morning, 71 words, showing us how to pray, think, dream, interact, be human. Uh, The title of this specific message is uh, 34 through 45. 34 through 45. Uh, Jesus, once again, I want to say is God, but he is also the way to go. Listen, no matter what tradition you come from or what expectation you have created for God, his role in your world or the space that he fills, Jesus God in the flesh brings not only a declaration of you are free, which is amazing. He declares you're free. You are no longer shackled to your past. Your future is not tied to where you've been. He declares you're free. He he absolutely does that. But he doesn't just then leave us with those words ringing in our ears, forever fading from a fresh moment to a distant memory. Jesus revelates our souls By showing us what freedom looks like in his interactions with people, in his conversations, and how he confronts evil and frustration and sadness and joy and peace and how he comes into those things. He gives us ways to continue living free and grow to be more free. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you just take these moments we have together as we open up the word of God. And uh, just ask you to mold us, shape us, make us more into your image. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen and amen. Uh, Continuing our uh, word study here, 71 words, 34 through 45. I want to read this phrase that we are focusing in on today. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Some translations would say trespasses and those who've trespassed against us. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Remember last week we talked about the shift that has taken place in this prayer Jesus is offering the disciples. He begins by saying, okay, pray like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We mentioned that there are two distinct triads. That first triad I just read revolves around name, kingdom, will. It's a, it's a focus on your in terms of God and divinity. 
the second triad, which we're working through beginning last week, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. The second triad centers on bread, debts, and temptation. It has a, 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 a frame of reference around us, the, the human. A few things here. There are implications of prioritization, that we should prioritize our existence. As Jesus is saying, pray like this, we should prioritize our existence upon name, kingdom, and will from heaven before bread, debts, and temptation. There's a suggestion also of progression, how we are to move name, kingdom, will coming before and preceding bread, debts, and temptation. And here again, there's an overall message of merging. That which is in heaven is being birthed on earth, not the other way around. We are not set up nor expected to achieve. We're not supposed to climb up to heaven. We're not supposed to shelter away from the creation that we are in. We are to let God come down. Even Jesus' form is brought to us, we do not go get him. We are to exemplify, we are to emanate the presence of God. There is even a call and a response. If you listen to these words, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not temptation, but deliver us from evil. There is a call of heaven and, and a, a, a humanity-filled response. And this is supposed to be a give and take and an ever-far-reaching expression and journey that we enter into. Now let's recall the verbiage, the, the grammar lesson, if you will, for all of those who are enjoying homeschooling at this time. The, the verbiage of the second triad is incredibly telling, or rather suggestive. Give, forgive, lead. The language used is the imperative. Grammatically speaking, it's the imperative. The, the imperative, uh, uh, grammatically speaking, is an essential or urgent thing. It makes whatever it's voicing vital, of crucial importance. As a verb, which is how Jesus is using it, give, forgive, lead, the, these are words of action, uh, it expresses a command or an exhortation. Give me my daily bread. Forgive me my sins. Lead me not in temptation. Remember, now this is, these are words offered to us by Jesus for us to use. This is not how we think we should speak with God. This is how Jesus thinks we should speak with God. This is how God is telling us to speak to him. These are not casual or mousy requests. Stop for a second and survey the insanity of this. The template creator gives to us creation is not one of timidity. Neither is it rude nor abrasive. The tone we are to use with God according to God is to be fervent, filled with expectation, and laden with anticipation of fulfillment. You know, we've had a whole lot more time with our children these last couple of weeks, as I'm sure many of you have. And uh, we are given way more opportunities to mold and shape, shall we say, correct, adjust 
Um, and listen, parents, can I, can I help you today? Like my wife has helped me. You can't die on every hill. You, you got to choose your battles. But we have gone from having maybe one meal together every couple of days to having most meals together every day. And so the opportunities are endless to correct and adjust how you hold a fork, how you address a person. No, you don't need to raise your hand at the dinner table, but please don't interrupt. I mean, come on, somebody. There are so many different things that we can speak to, we can correct, we can adjust. And one of them is how you say something. It matters who you're talking to. Am I right? Parents, am I right? It matters. Are you talking to a friend or are you talking to a parent? Are you talking to an adult, a coach, a teacher? Who you are talking to determines how you speak to them. We've been talking about that at at dinner a lot. Uh, Hey, I appreciate the familiarity, son, uh, but I'm not your buddy. I'm your daddy. Come on, somebody. Give me an amen. I'm not your buddy. I'm your daddy. And I have even been learning myself how to speak, how to use some of these words. Uh, There are words that I know previously, but now they have taken on a different meaning, like tough. Tough to me means something's difficult. Tough to my sons, I'm not going to even try and know the definition. But I also mean like you can say, oh, that's tough. Or you can say tough or tough. These are all three different meanings of words. And again, to save my children some embarrassment, I will not attempt to define them. But one of the things that we have encountered this past couple of weeks is Zoe oftentimes when she's done will just take her bowl and she'll show it to me and say, bowl? And I'm like, are you asking for more? And she'll just nod. She just commands me, bowl? Like, fill. Like, I'm the servant. Like, hold it up. Like, hey, waiter, garçon, garçon, come quickly and give me my food. I say, no, baby, you got to use a whole sentence. And I'm not just a server. Your mom is not a chef and a short order cook. She is your mother. She brought you into this world, and I'm pretty sure she can make another one just like you. So ask, use kind words, be nice, say please, say thank you. Bowl? Uh, bowl, like the bowl is empty. Uh, garçon, fill the bowl with the food that I want. No, you, you need to say, hey, this was delicious. Can I have some more, please? But God says, no, use this type of language with me. Bowl, give me my daily bread. Forgive my sins. Not, will you please, if, if you find it in your heart, God, if you're in a good mood, would you please, maybe, Just not to bother you, sir, but could you forgive my sins? No, he says, I want you to say to me, forgive my sins. Let's move on from the grammar lesson. Maybe I went a little overboard there, but I just find that riveting that God would ask us to speak to him in those terms. So this is the second phrase of the second triad. Bread is where Jesus starts, understandably so, because bread is what we all need to physically survive. But right after bread, Jesus takes what I feel like is a, is a pretty large leap to forgiveness. Give us this day our daily bread. Okay, I, I can buy into that because we all need bread to survive. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. What about shelter, Jesus? 
what about my gifting? What, what I was made for? What, what about the purpose I'm supposed to serve? What about love and intimacy and relationships? Did God really skip over those necessities? Or, or maybe he didn't skip anything. Maybe basic food and sustenance is on par with letting things go so we can move on. I'm going to say that again. Maybe basic food and sustenance is on par with letting things go so we can move on. Maybe God knows how critical forgiveness is for our souls. Maybe, just maybe, God knows more what is necessary for me than I do. You know, to related again to my kids, <laughs> our boys play sports. They play baseball. They play basketball. Um, and they're, they're, they're incredible at it. It's, it's crazy to watch. Um, Asa, our, our 14-year-old, can throw 76, 78 miles an hour. He's been clocked at. It's crazy. And he, he doesn't practice a whole lot. He doesn't put a whole lot of effort into it, but he's very detailed in the work that he does put into it. And Initially, he was a little bit like the wild thing. Uh, he would throw, and the first few pitches might scare the batter out of the box, so then he could loosen up the strike zone a little bit. And, and I know my son, and I know what his strengths are. I know what his, uh, what his um, abilities are and, and where maybe some of his shortcomings are. And he's had some incredible baseball coaches over the last uh, couple of years who played baseball at the collegiate level and, and did some things in, in even the, the professional levels that people would speak to and try and coach and, and, and bring the best out of Asa. And one day I made the comment to him like, hey, buddy, I think it's less about your windup and more about how you're gripping the ball. He's like, what are you talking about? I said, Son, the way that you hold a glass, go ahead and pick that glass up. And you would pick the glass up, and he would hold it with just the very tips of his fingers. And I'm like, see, son, that's not how a normal human holds a glass. And I would pick up the glass, and you could try this right now. You pick up the glass, and you're going to use the large majority of your fingers. Uh, Asa would pick it up and just grab it. Now, granted, the ends of his fingers are ginormous, but it's still just the ends of his fingers. And I realized and knew he was holding the baseball with just the tips of his fingers rather than getting a good grip. And once I helped him adjust the grip of his baseball, all of a sudden that speed became not a liability, but an ability for him to get into the strike zone because now he could control the ball. My point in saying that is that I don't know anything about baseball. I don't know how to hold a baseball. I knew about my son. And I knew what he was like. Just to prove to you, I don't know what about anything about baseball. I never played baseball. People ask me, hey, did you play baseball? No, I played softball, co-ed, when I was in fourth grade. And I played a, in a, an adult softball league. Now, understand, when I say I played in an adult softball league, they put me in right field, which is the equivalent of quote-unquote left field because most people are right-handed uh, in softball leagues. And so they hit it to left field. They put me in the place that the ball has no business ever going. And for the vast majority of the games, the balls were never hit there, and I was fine. But there was one game, and you can ask uh, Pastor Justin about this because he was, I believe, playing first base when this happened. But there was a fly ball hit to right field, and I got under it, and I got scared, got a little confused. I got dizzy looking up for the ball, fell down. On the ground, I looked up and realized the ball was still in the air. I got up again, tried to center myself, and fell down again. Then the ball landed about three feet away from me. So picture this. There's a fly ball to right field. A guy runs under it, falls down once, gets up again, falls down again, and then gets up and then misses the ball. 
My point in saying that is, I don't know anything about baseball, but I know my son. I don't mean to communicate that God doesn't know anything about whatever circumstance you're going through, because he does. But more importantly, he knows you. He knows the frame of our souls. And so he moves from the sustenance of physical body and bread to the sustenance of your soul and says, forgiveness is that important because he knows. Biblical forgiveness, again, we've discussed over different series. That word is afiemi, means to send forth, to send away, to forsake, leave, lay aside, omit, put away, to desert. Forgiving someone does not mean you agree or condone a decision or an action of self or another. It is declaring you will no longer be affected or harmed by it. So this phrase that Jesus gives us right out of the gate after bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This phrase we notice is inclusive. It's plural, interdependent, one and another, us, ours. Remember in the beginning of the prayer, Jesus says, our Father in heaven. This word Father is not just Father like that guy. But it's literally translated Father of Us. It was not simply Father, but Father of Us. Jesus is continuously illustrating, reframing, and communicating to us that there is an us. It's not just a you. It's not just a him or a her. It's us. N.T. Wright says in his book, The Lord and His Prayer, Failure to forgive one another wasn't a matter of failing to live up to a new bit of moral teaching. It was cutting off the branch you were sitting on. The only reason for being kingdom people, for being Jesus' people, was that the forgiveness of sins was happening. So if you didn't live forgiveness, you were denying the very basis of your own existence. And please note, Wright continues, this isn't saying that we do this in order to earn God's forgiveness. It's a further statement of our loyalty to Jesus and His kingdom. Claiming the central blessing of the kingdom only makes sense if we are living by that same central blessing ourselves. Our lack of application here, church, our lack of ability to forgive could be, and I think is often attributed, well, we're just spiteful. That, that person's evil. They don't want to forgive. They're dysfunctional and, and can't let go. Or maybe there's an overarching bend of humanity towards darkness and it's getting darker and darker and colder and colder as time drags on. Perhaps some would even attempt to blame quote-unquote original sin. I personally think otherwise. I think that we've been inundated with and instructed to idolize the individual. Our Western mindsets, even the American dream, my vote, my rights. Please hear me as I say this. Those are really beautiful and quite healthy truths in their given capacities that everybody has a voice, everybody has an opinion. In fact, I think we need to continue to drill down on what it is to be an individual and honor and accept who people are, where people are, but not at the cost of ignoring the whole. Expressing individuality does not erase the communal reality. I don't think that we should be threatened by a person's individual opinion. In the same way, the communal 
should not crush the individual. And we have to work to manage that tension. Love it or hate it, the fact remains we are a connected creation. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Again, Jesus is emphasizing we're part of a greater whole. Who we are is connected to who they are. In a very strange way, this virus even proves that. Once again, it knows no racial prejudice. It does not focus on certain areas of the world. It doesn't care how much money you make, what job you have. And it has been one of the silver linings of this horrific storm cloud we find ourselves in. And we can trust Jesus for peace in, in any storm cloud. But one of the silver linings of this storm cloud is that we're all in this together. No matter where we are, no matter what we have, no matter what we don't have, we are all in this together. I don't know about you, but even my wife and I were watching TV for a few minutes last night and we were struck by how every single set of commercials had at least one commercial from a car maker or a beer maker or a food industry or sports teams or something reminding us, hey, we're going to get through this. We're in this together. But even those beautiful affirmations of community are strikingly different than where we are normally. That's not the case for Jesus' tradition. His his tradition had the built-in activity of forgiveness, which can again only exist in community. There was an accepted rhythm of forgiveness in life and practice. You can read about it. In Exodus 22, it gets a little bit weird. It's the early stages of humans trying to understand what it means to live in community together. Leviticus 25 details the year of Jubilee that every passage of time, they would, everybody, be forgiven of their debts. This rhythm was put into even their agricultural system. Every seventh year, Every eighth year, the, the, the ground would lay fallow so that they would then start over again the year after. Such is put in place, listen, not just to be nice and kind, but to create an environment conducive to God's presence and His initiated healing and growth. God does not give us things to do and not to do just to be nice and just to be kind. But it, anything that the scriptures invite us into, prepare us to be able to relate to God and prepare us to be able to relate to others. Forgive us our debts. In using this word, Jesus is being very pointed. Is this a word, Christoph, for sins, or is it a word for financial restraint? Yes. (laughs) Because debt is debt. Regardless of the currency, means, instrument, or form, debt has a negative relationship with the space-time continuum. When we are weighed down, everyone suffers. Everyone. Not just the person in debt, but also the person who owes the debt. Our soul structure wasn't meant to engage life with debt. The person in debt is vulnerable to fear, insecurity, and inferiority. Persons who are owed the debt are vulnerable to resentment. They're vulnerable to bitterness. They're vulnerable to superiority. And you might be sitting here today and thinking, man, superiority, give me some of that. I would love to have that. We weren't built 
to have such control and reach into other people's lives. This is a completely off-topic tangent, but just as an example, go ahead and look at a a picture of a president before they took office and look at a picture of the president after they left office and how much in the four or the eight years, how much they aged. We weren't built to have that much control, to have that much superiority and decision-making power. And we're, I'm so appreciative that people are crazy enough to want to be president of the United States of America. But the fact of the matter is that debt, whether we are owed it or we owe it, makes us vulnerable. There's a cycle of violence that Jesus speaks to in regards of debt. And again, we're speaking in the, in the context of forgiveness. But in Matthew chapter 18, he tells this parable of the unforgiving servant. And he describes a cycle of violence. Jesus does. He says that there's a servant who owed the king 10,000 talents, which in our understanding was uh, about 20 years of wages, each of those talents. So this, this guy owns 10,000 talents. Each talent is worth 20 years of wages. He order, just owes a huge sum of money to the king, and he couldn't pay. And he went to the master and said, please, don't, uh, don't, don't. Let me let me go. Let me pay this back. So the servant fell on his knees, verse 26, imploring him, Have patience with me. I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. Then that servant, the parable goes on, goes out and he finds out his fellow servant who owed him a hundred denarii. Denarii would have been a day's wages. He owes him a hundred, which is a lot of days, but it's not worth the 10,000 talents, each talent being 20 years. It's a much smaller amount. He finds someone who owes him that and he seizes him and begins to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded using the same words, have patience with me, I will pay you. The exact same words. The servant refused and went and put him into prison until the debt should be paid. Of course, the master finds out and takes the servant and who owned the 10,000 talents and throws him into prison. My point in bringing that up is that there's a cycle of violence. There's a cycle of overreach and control that we have when we don't forgive. And what that does to our souls is, is not good. It's not healthy. And of course, Jesus' version is different. When he finds people who are in need of forgiveness, he eats with them. He has relationship with them. He doesn't separate himself, but he rather draws close to them. He literally, in very, and not just figuratively, but literally throws parties and has meals and and relates and connects on a deep level. Proverbs, or excuse me, Luke chapter 15 is an expression of that. Luke 15 and verse 1 says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. These are all the dudes, all the dudes and dudettes that should be separated because they are unclean, because they are needing forgiveness. They're sinning. But Jesus draws them near. The Pharisees and scribes, the religious rulers of the day, grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And then Jesus hears them. And so he goes and tells them the parables. The parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost sheep. Each of these parables in the parable of the lost son, he sets up the father figure, the God figure, as one who is going out, who seeks to find.
that there would be an ache in our soul to understand God does not need us to get to Him. We need to understand He is here with us and He can be received, He can be embraced, He can be accepted even in the midst of our loss. The prodigal son is probably the most well-known of the three passages. The son comes and wants to leave and goes and lives prodigally, but has a moment where he comes to himself and he says, you know what, I need to go back and apologize and, and make, make it right. Maybe my father will receive me as a servant. And it's while he's on his way back that the father runs out. Now you have to understand that the running in this day and age of Jesus was not, it's, it's not appropriate. You run from danger. You run from a murderous threat. You don't run, especially when you're a father, when you have been maligned. You don't run to meet the son that has shunned you. You would never do that. So for Jesus to declare the God figure doesn't worry about your uncleanness, isn't even concerned about you making amends. He just so values the son. That is completely unheard of. It's within this context I want to celebrate communion this morning. So if you want to get your communion pieces together, I want to read a passage of scripture, or not passage of scripture, but an extrapolation of the scripture from this N.T. Wright book. Forgive us our trespasses. Again, the, the communal. He says, lift up your eyes for a moment away from your own sins and those of your immediate neighbor and see the world as a whole groaning in travail, longing for peace and justice. See the endless tangles in which politicians and power brokers get themselves and the endless human misery which results. Put yourself in the shoes of the peasant who has lost husband and home and faces a winter in the snow or of the politician who discovers that he's in too deep and that all the options open are evil ones. Of the men of violence who've forgotten that there was a different way to live, collect all these images and roll them into one that of a young Jewish boy off in the far country feeding the pigs, and then, with your courage in both hands, say, Forgive us our trespasses. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned. But as you say it in your prayer, with the whole world of pain in view, allow your praying heart to see the next scene with the father doing the unthinkable, the disgraceful thing, and running down the road to meet his muddled and muddy son. He goes on. The church is to tell and to live the Jubilee message, the forgiveness of sins message. The church is to embody before the world the disgraceful, glorious, shocking, and joyful message of the arrival of the king. When the world sees what the church is doing, it ought to ask questions to which the proper answer would be a story about a father running down the road to embrace his disreputable son. So as we take communion this morning, we celebrate communion, the bread and the cup. Let us be mindful what it means. That God does not say we have to get to a place to have forgiveness. or We have to try and ask and earn or entreat. But he says, no, child, son, daughter, tell me you want me to forgive you. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us. Forgive us our debts as we forgive the debtors. You hold in your hand the bread and the cup. 
which is a reminder what Jesus has done, what he has fully accomplished, what is available to us to not just ask for, but rather as Jesus directs us to just simply receive. N.T. Wright reads this, This breathing in of God's clean air is, of course, what we do in particular when we come to feast at Jesus' table. The Eucharist, or communion, is a direct historical descendant, not just of the Last Supper, but of those happy and shocking parties which Jesus shared with all and sundry as a sign that they were surprisingly and dramatically forgiven. This meal, in other words, is linked directly to the meals which Jesus explained by telling the story of the running father. Hold that image in your mind as you come to communion. Whichever far country you may be in, and for whatever reason, you don't have to stay there one moment longer. By the time you get to the words, forgive us our trespasses, you will already have been embraced by the Father who has run down the road to meet you. Father, we thank you so much for your mercy. We thank you so much for sufficient grace. We thank you that as we try to work our way back to you, we find you are already here with us. We thank you for everything that Christ has accomplished on the cross, that your body was broken, Jesus, that your blood was spilled so that we could have relationship with you. We love you. We honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may partake of the bread and the cup. I want to give opportunity for anybody who has not received Christ as your Lord and Savior to, to do that right now. I know this might seem a little bit awkward, maybe on a recording or whatever, but and maybe you're listening to this on March 29th, 2020. Maybe you're listening to this some weeks and days and months later. Wherever you are, I would be privileged to help you invite Jesus into your life. And we're just going to pray a simple prayer together. Uh, Jesus, I give you my life. And by doing that, you acknowledge that He is Lord, that He has accomplished that which was done on the cross at Calvary, and you are accepting of His words, you're accepting of His love, you're accepting of the fact that the Father has run to meet you and you feel His presence, you feel His invitation to join with Him. And so if you'd like to uh, pray that prayer with me, uh, I'd just be so privileged to do that. Just pray that with me. Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. You know, if you prayed that prayer, um, I'd love to hear from you. We would love to connect with you as a church. Uh, in this season of quarantine and disconnection, we believe we can still be connected. Uh, maybe you came by this podcast from a friend. Talk to the friend. Uh, they'd love to come alongside you or you want to email us at lifechurchvirginia.com. Go ahead and you can find some contact information there or just respond to the email that went out. We would love to serve you as you continue to develop a relationship with Jesus because that wasn't the final decision. That was the first decision that you get to make. And as you continue to follow Jesus, there are going to be wonderful, beautiful moments to step into as well. Let me leave you all with a benediction this morning. May we accept God's forgiveness. May we extend forgiveness to others as we ourselves enjoy it. 
May we name those pervading and accepted thoughts in our conduct with God and with others that do not align with heaven's ways. And may we remember that with Jesus, it only gets better. We love you all so much. Have a wonderful week, and we'll be in touch soon.